The NBA season is heating up and Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon have got you covered on The Mismatch. They discuss all the news, the trends, and transactions happening around the league. They also offer their on-court analysis and occasionally get into heated debates. Check out The Mismatch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Coming up on New York, New York, it was a very good Tuesday for the New York Mets. While the Yankees... It was pretty awful. And the Yankees are actually lucky to only be a game under 500. I'll explain. Plus, we got my main man, Kevin Burkhart, coming up. We got a ton of listener voicemails to get to. And I'll take you inside the mind of JJ all alone, trying to find something to do this weekend. All that and more. It's New York, New York. It's coming up next. baby it is now episode five hard to believe it is episode five of new york new york right here of course on the ringer podcast network and i could go one of two ways to start off this particular program could go one of two ways am i going to preach the negative or am i going to preach the positive i've thought long and hard about this and I keep coming back to the prevailing thought that I'm a positive guy. I'm a positive person. I may have put that to the test earlier today when I couldn't get off the tee playing golf. But I'm going to preach positivity with the New York Mets right out of the gate here. Because you know what? The Mets did a very good job here in sweeping this doubleheader day night against the Philadelphia Phillies. And it wasn't pretty at times. There were times where you would get incredibly frustrated with, I don't know, Miguel Castro. Aloy Rojas' decision, the lineup being unable to hit with runners in scoring position. But here's the greater takeaway. If the Mets are going to be a playoff team, if the Mets are going to be a team, folks, that wins the National League East, that's playing deep into the month of October, yeah, they got to win Jacob DeGrom starts. We've talked about that over and over again. You know what else they have to do? They got to get games pitched. The way I saw Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker 
go out and flat out shove against a good hitting team. Walker and Stroman today were fabulous. And they have been fabulous now in their first two turns through the rotation. And you go back to my old show, JJ After Dark. There's no secret here. The, at times, swagger and overconfidence of Marcus Stroman has rubbed me the wrong way. I've been one of his harshest critics. He's blocked me on Twitter a couple of times. We've had our fair share of back and forths. All true. I'm going to give credit where credit is due. And I hope Marcus is listening to this. Maybe he will unblock me. That would be nice. Don't expect it, but maybe he will. He's off to a terrific start this year. And this is exactly what I was referencing when I said, you're going to talk the talk, bro? You got to walk the walk. Right now, Marcus Stroman, to his credit, in his first two starts this year, is walking the walk for the Mets. I mean, he's pitching in his seventh inning. He's got the Phillies completely off balance. All sorts of weak contact. That's a great sign. Great, great sign. And let's be honest. This is a team the New York Mets need to beat. If they are going to win the National League East, you have to beat the Philadelphia Phillies. Getting games pitched the way Walker and Stroman were able to go and do it is a great step in the right direction. Lineup wasn't great, but you know who has done a really nice job kicking off this year and has had really, really good at-bats? And if you go back to February and March when I was having these conversations, I was not in love with the idea of Brandon Immo eating off of this team. And the argument I made was that he's not one of the four or five best hitters in the lineup. Well, two weeks into the year, I got to eat a little crow. Because you know what Brandon Immo has done a great job of? Getting on base, getting big hits, doing the job. Hit a rope against Aaron Nola down the right field line. Those are the sort of positives I want to see from a Mets standpoint. You know, it's weird. The Mets have barely played. So there's been real, really no flow. There's no equilibrium in many ways to the first two weeks of the year. This is a feel-good day. Now you look to build on it next couple of days against the Phillies. And then, of course, you go to Colorado and you say your prayers that they're going to be able to play with snow and whatnot. I mean, they'll be playing games where, you know, there's like eight inches of snow on the ground where you need your ice skates and your skis. Uh, playing against the Colorado Rockies. But a very good day for the Mets. Walk-off win in game one. Game two, it's all about Marcus Stroman. Anytime you can beat the city of Philadelphia, not once but twice, and you overcome a 10th inning deficit, I'm sure if the Mets had lost this game today, I would have been getting voicemails up the wazoo about the extra inning rule. And I got to be honest, I don't love it. Full disclosure. I I would let them play for an inning or two and then go to the extra inning rule. But... When you lose a game, don't use it as an excuse. Now, we got the positivity out of the way. I have to own this with the Yankees. And by the way, I've gotten now not one, but two texts from our buddy, my boss, the great Bill Simmons, who right now is trying to work his way onto my shit list. I mean, that's impossible to do. He's the dude. He's my guy. He brought me in. I love him. But do I need the Red Sox talk a week and a half, two weeks into the year? It's going to turn me gray. It's going to make me go bald. I can't take it anymore. The Red Sox win every day, and the Yankees have looked like garbage. I don't care what the record says. It's a game under 500. They've looked worse than that. They've looked worse than that. And I know it's early. And I know there's like 145 or 150 more games this year. All true. 
The Yankees are very lucky and are very fortunate. That's right. Lucky and fortunate to only be a game under 500. Because two weeks into the year, Garrett Cole's look great. And the narrative of him working alongside Kyle Higashioka, that's a thing. That needs to continue to be a thing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Going back to last year, looking at this year, that relationship, A-OK. However, aside from Garrett Cole, the Yankee offense, the Yankee defense, and the Yankee rotation not named Garrett Cole has not been particularly good. Listen to some of these numbers for the Yankees. Don't put them into perspective. Listen to some of these numbers. And you wonder why I'm making the argument I'm happy they're only game under 500. Here's why. 14 double plays. 14. They played like 10 games. It's like grounding over one double play game. On repeat over and over again. They have been a terrible defensive team. Terrible. Whether it's Bruce being a butcher at first base, Glaber having his issues at shortstop. They put Urshela there today. He can't field the position. Hicks has misplayed balls in the outfield. They have played terrible defense. Then you get to the base running. Brett Gardner on Sunday, go ahead run, getting caught in a rundown. Dude, what are you doing? Tonight, Sanchez, who has actually swung the bat better than any Yankee. So I give Gary credit for that. His defense so far this year hasn't been out and out abomination. But you're down three runs. You're on first base. Dude, you mean shit. You mean nothing. You cannot get picked off of first base when your team is down by three runs and they're trying to mount a comeback. That is sloppy, lackadaisical, bad baseball. That's the stuff that will make me go gray. That's losing baseball. Period, end of story. Losing baseball. And then the rotation. Kluber, second time through. Stunk. Tyon, second time through. Stunk. Montgomery, second time through. Not good, even though he battled. Yankees need somebody other than Garrett Cole to go deep into a ball game in the pitch, but the bigger issue for this team is offensively, they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. They're not playing quality defense. And they're running the bases like crap. They're lucky to be a game under 500. Are they going to play better baseball than this? Absolutely. Has it been very tough to watch? Has it been, dare I say, easy on the eyes? Right out of the gate? No. They are a combined what? Two and four going into Wednesday's game. What two? Well, yeah, two and four because they lost two to Tampa. They lost two to Toronto. Now they've lost three to Toronto. Two and five. How about me doing some math there with that wonderful Syracuse education that I have? Not exactly my strong suit, but see, I could pull it off just like that. What a genius I am. Not really. That's why I have the calculator around at all times. Yankees got to play a better brand of baseball. It's not just about the losses. It is the way this team is losing games. It is sloppy, it is sloppy, it is sloppy. Now, 
We have plenty of voicemails to get to. We will have Kevin Burkhart to get to, who I'm looking forward to chatting with. We have a voicemail right out of the gate, though. So let's hit it. Guns are blazing. JJ, it's Matt God in Stanford. Show's been great. Really been a diversion for me the last few days. Keep up the good work. Brian Cashman has been with this team for over over 23 years as the general manager. Every year he builds a team that is built to fail. In the late 90s, he had a team that was built for a short series, and that's why the Yankees won. Now they're built for a long, a long season to win 96 to 100 games. This is the New York Yankees. It's not about making the playoffs. It's not about winning division titles. At the end of the day, it's about winning motherfucking World Series. That shit plays in Queens if you want to make the playoffs every year. They're the motherfucking JV. This is the Bronx Bombers. Enough of the horse shit, and let's fucking win. Take care, my friend. Whoa. Whoa, an mf -er right out of the gate. Whoa. Maddie is fired up in more ways than one. Very, 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 very fired up. Do I understand the point that this team might be built for the regular season? I sure do. Is it two weeks into the year? Am I ready to, like, you know, jump off the Verrazano yet? No. They got to play a better brand of baseball. And as I've said countless times, folks, if they're not playing in the World Series this year, you can't run it back and try to sell me on the fact that this team is good enough. The American League is weak. But you know what's the dirty little secret? This division might be better than I thought. Toronto's going to be spunky all year. Tampa, they're going to come to play. You think Tampa Bay is going to bow down to the Yankees? No chance. And the Red Sox? They're better than I thought so far. I don't know if it's sustainable, but they're better than I thought. Because they're slugging the ball. They are tearing a cover off the ball. J.D. Martinez, back to being the guy who used to torment the New York Yankees. And it just goes to show you, sometimes a manager means something. Red Sox look like a different team with Alex Cora in the dugout. Totally different team. Not shocking the American League East up to the Yankees quite yet. If you look at the betting odds, betting odds went from like 375 right out of the gate. They've fallen to like 160. So even Vegas may be a little concerned with the Yankees and their sluggish start. We got listener voicemails coming your way. We got Kevin Burkhardt coming your way. Uh, I, I'm going to give you... A little hint about my weekend with Kate spending some time in the Bahamas and what I tried to do over the course of the weekend. This crazy theory that came to mind. Uh, I'm fired up. I wish I was in better spirits, but hey, the Yankees sometimes put me in this kind of mood. What can I tell you? It is New York, New York, presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Our main man, KB, is up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. 
Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So we're going to welcome in one of my all-time favorites, Mr. Hollywood himself, uh, NFL on Fox, Major League Baseball on Fox, the good buddy of Alex Rodriguez, maybe maybe J-Lo's personal caddy while we're at it. How, oh how does that gosh. sound, Kevin Burkhart? <laughs> JJ, it's good to see you, buddy. Uh, really awesome to see you, and congrats. This is so cool. It's glad to be with you. KB, my pleasure. And, you know, you're a guy who left a very comfortable gig. This is where I'm going to start because I'm kind of in, not that I went to Fox and I'm leaving the broadcast booth of Gary, Keith, and Ron, but, you know, I had a comfortable gig at WFAN. Now I make my move over to the ringer. It's crazy to think about the fact, Kevin, that you've been at Fox now full time. It feels like for what, almost a decade, give or take? Yeah, I mean, it's um, I, I've done eight NFL seasons at Fox. So I did do the NFL for a little bit while I was still with SNY with the Mets. But so I, I came to L.A. at the end of the 2014 season, which is crazy. I mean, it's it has flown by. Um, and, you know, like to what? Yeah, to your comparison, you know, it's always a little bit scary when you leave something comfortable for something brand new, even if it's exciting and an awesome opportunity. But now I don't even I mean, gosh, it feels like eons ago when I was doing TV for the Mets. And really, it was a long time ago. You know, time just flies. So it's going to be the same thing for you, brother. You're going to have your own empire. And you're gonna be like, oh, remember back in the day when I was doing 2 a.m. on the fan? I, uh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll text you. You won't even respond. I know how it goes. Oh, I call BS on that right now. And Kevin, not for nothing, bro. You and I both have that WFN in our background. And for anybody, you know, who is not familiar with your story, it's incredible, dude. I mean, how they found your demo, you, you're selling cars, and now, now you're hanging with Alex Rodriguez. Is, how accurate is that? You know, I've never asked you this question, but I guess in this podcast form, I can do it. Kind of talk me through what your broadcast steps were before you got in the door at WFAN. Yeah, well, it took me a long time, JJ. You know, I mean, I, I was uh, I was not one that got uh, any breaks right out of school, right? So I was working at all kinds of small places, you know, 1,000-watt radio stations, doing minor league baseball, the whole deal. You know, I had a couple of, um, you know, maybe bites at WCBS um, in, in New York, but I was like, you know, 48th on the, on, the, on the list of people to fill in. You know, I needed like 75 people to fall down the stairs, 10 people to get hurt, and then like maybe I would get like an update shift. So I just, I just bailed and decided just to uh, sell cars. I, I don't, I just, I literally picked up the Sunday paper and I just put my hand on a, on a job and it was a car. I have no idea what I was doing. I walked in and, you know, the guy was great. He's now a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Trebino. Um, and, and I started selling cars and it was the best thing I ever did because it just gave me motivation to, first of all, it's like you had to reinvent yourself. I had no idea what I was doing. So you had to survive. Right. Um, and then it, it just gave me like this, um, just different outlook. Like, okay, I kind of knew more clearly what I wanted. Um, you know, when you're selling cars, you either ask for what you want the customer to do for you, or you just don't sell cars and then you go hungry. Right. So it taught me to just ask for things like the worst that can happen is people say no. Right. And I know that's a simple little lesson, but it really, it kind of changed me. So when that happened, I started getting a little bit more, uh, airtime, some, some shifts open up on WCBS. And then um, Eric Spitz, who was at the fan and then at CBS and then back at the fan, or I guess uh, technically at Shadow that kind of ran CBS and win sports. 
he was at the fan and I just called him up and be like, Hey, I feel like I'm good enough to work there. You know, can you have any other shifts or what do you think? And he's like, okay, come in and audition. So I came in audition with Minko and I got some stuff and one thing led to another. And, and then I was at the fan, man. So it's just crazy how it happened. So it, it is a true story. Okay. How did you get your start then? You're doing all these updates, you know, you're killing it late night like me. And then you end up on television. Did you have any TV background, Kev, before you got the gig at SNY? Zero. Wow. I had, I had, and you I end had, up being um, a natural right out of the gate. Come on, man. That's not fair. It's not dude, fair. You're the same, the same thing. You do the, you're doing the same thing. You were doing this, this Saturday morning, 2 a.m. shift, just like I did it. So I know exactly what you did. So to be fair, I, I did tell I wanted to do TV. I did television in college. And then I just, my path took me down the radio path, which I loved. Um, and then I wanted to get into TV. And I had like a couple of like freelance things here and there. Every once in a while, like I got like a, a thing. And then actually SNY, um, you know, because I was in town, because I was covering stuff, because I was, you know, a local guy, I grew up in the area. They, uh, you know, they started using me a little bit. Like I was covering the Jets at the time for the fans. So they had me on some of the jet shows. And, and so I got a little time at SNY. And then when Chris Cotter moved on uh, and started doing other stuff and not the Mets anymore, uh, I got fortunate and got that gig. But really, essentially, virtually no television experience. I mean, just a little bit here and there. What was the biggest lesson you took from working with Gary, Keith and Ron for all those years? Wow. Um, you know, I, I love those guys. And, you know, Gary and I are so tight. We became such good friends um, because, uh, you know, I mean, he didn't know this at the time, but I mean, I idolized him. You know, I, I just thought the world of him and how good he was and how he handled situations. And, and, and you know, I would just pick his brain all the time and he would constantly help me when I got that job. And, and then we would just came tight. And, you know, I just learned it, it's I am a hard worker. I'd like to think I've always been that way. And, you know, I, I prep, I work hard, but you know, when you're around him and you see it, um, I worked my ass off because I didn't want to disappoint him and them. Like, you know, I wanted to come with some on the broadcast that was really good that they would then talk about that they thought was good. Like that motivated me. Um, so I think that says a lot, right? Like when you're trying to, um, you know, live up to the expectations of, of your coworkers and in, in that instance, Gary, Keith and Ron, I, 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 it was awesome. It was so good for me. And I learned so much and, and I love those guys, but yeah, Gary was, um, I mean, he's such a great guy that, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to do the best I can in my job. And obviously I play that plays in my background, you know, JJ, you know, this, right. There are, it's very easy for an established uh, person, whatever gig it is. But in this case, the play by play voice of the mess to think, okay, here's the new guy. You know, he's trying to take away my reps. I'm going to be, you know, a jerk, not talk to this guy. Right. And I had no desire, no even thought to do that because Gary should be with that job forever because he's amazing. But what I'm saying is a lot of people would just kind of maybe shun me or shun somebody else where all he did was be like, Hey, listen to your spring training game last night. This was great try doing this. And I was so thankful to get all those tips from him because it just made me such a better broadcaster. Now I'm putting you on the spot. You're going to know this a lot better than I am. I guess I'm putting myself on the spot. 
Was your first NFL game for Fox a wild game with the Jets and the Bucks, and the Jets ended up coming back? If I'm not mistaken, KB, was. that was your first NFL broadcast. Is that accurate? How on earth did you remember or well, know Well, maybe that? because I had a couple of shekels on the Jets in that particular game, <laughs> so you remember it maybe better than most. But I do remember, because, like, listen, you're the guy at SNY. I'm all fired up for you. It's like, wow, KB's getting a shot to do NFL games. And you get ejected. Talk me through. Were you like super antsy, nervous, whatever? Because, dude, it's the NFL, man. You're doing games on a Sunday. That's a huge deal. You know what's funny? I mean, I can't believe it's so funny you remember, but that was my first game, 2013, Bucks Jets. I grew up in Jersey. You know, I'm doing TV for the Mets. I mean, it was a home game for me. So, you know, I wasn't, I was excited. I wasn't nervous. I thought it was amazing that I got to do my first broadcast, like essentially my home fans right like i felt comfortable there it wasn't like i was an out-of-towner um but it was funny because you know um i was i was psyched for it but then like you know we're just about to go on and i'm like huh never really called a football game on television before (laughs) so um you know just like the good like the good butterflies the good nerves and i was you know i'm so fortunate i still have the same crew so my producer is pete majeska another jersey guy does the world series for fox uh, my director already Kemder has done multiple Super Bowls. So like having them, you know, was so good. You know, I remember the end of the game was so crazy and, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, I, I feel confident, but you know, you're just trying to survive the first one. Just don't make a humongous mistake. Right. And, and I just remember he was in my ear. P was like, all right, kid, just remember what's important here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And just like kind of casually helping me come along and, and get to the finish line. But that was the first one that, that wild uh, Jets Bucks game. Do you have a preference because, you know, you're doing these games every Sunday. You dabble with all baseball throughout the year, but then you get in the studio, man, and it's you, it's A-Rod, it's Big Hurt. You guys are shooting the shit. It's super, super comfortable. And you kill it in both roles, so I'm not just trying to blow smoke, but, it's you know, God's honest truth, Kev. Do you have a preference doing games or hanging in the studio, or do you kind of like take it for what it is, depending on the season, and have fun no matter what the opportunity may be? Well, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I will say this. I think the most honest answer I could give is if I if I if I really had to absolutely pick one, it would probably be NFL play by play. There's there's just nothing like Sundays. But I truly love. I love the diversity in it. I, I love how it's so different and each thing is so unique and I wouldn't give up any of it. You know, like I love the fact that I could call a, you know, a big game on Sunday and then like for a month be with these legendary guys with A-Rod and Poppy and Frank Thomas. And, you know, it's just such a different thing. You know, when I was coming up, I'm curious how I'm curious what people told you. But when I was coming up, I had plenty of people tell me, no, 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 you can't be like versatile. You got to like pick your one. You See, special. I think that's such bullshit, Kevin. To too. me, I would tell young broadcasters now, and I wish I got this opportunity in college, write, do some TV, do some radio, do a little bit of everything. You don't know where the business is going to take you. I completely agree. And I thought it was a crock of shit when I heard it. And so, you know, I always really prided myself on being versatile, you know, even at the fan back in the day, you know, they could throw me on and and sub a talk show. I could do updates. I could cover a team, whatever. Like I like that. So what I like the most is being able to do both. And I know that's kind of a politically correct answer. Again, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick, um, you know, play by play. If you said, Hey, you could do one thing one day, but I truly 
enjoy getting to do such different things. I, to me, that's there's nothing like it. You're obviously established at this point in your career, but talk me through, KB, the first time, bro, you're on set with Alex Rodriguez. Were you like thinking, what am I getting myself into? Is this guy going to be into it? Like, kind of talk me through what that experience is like dealing with A-Rod for the first time. You know, I, the first time, you know, and I had talked to him a couple of times when he was on the Yankees, but I, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. Um, but I, you know, I did talk to my friends who covered the Yankees and said, you know, you're going to like, you're going to like him. He loves baseball. You know, you're going to like him because he's, because, you know, of that. And the first thing that struck me, John, is that, you know, he comes in and, and he called me and he's like, Hey, you know, first day is whenever it was He's like, can you come in? Um, any chance you can come in, you know, day before or a couple hours early that day, there are a lot of things. I'm just, I really want to go over. So I feel more comfortable. I'm like, sure. Like I was just impressed that he even like had the wherewithal to even think about that and, and call me. So I was more than happy to help. And he was so damn prepared. He talked to so many people. He had a notebook full of stuff and not just baseball stuff, just on like TV stuff. So I'd be like, Hey, think you should do this. Let's just worry about this today. Don't think about all the other stuff. You know, I felt like, you know, a rookie ball coach in some way, but I love the fact that he was like, Hey, coach me. Like I'm, I'm here. I want to be a sponge. And like, it just impressed me from the get go, you know, from a guy who of his stature, who was like, yeah, I, I want to learn, like help me do this. So we've always had a really good relationship. You know, I, I like Alex a lot. He's always treated me great. And, you know, I think it's with all three of those guys, you know, I'm sitting there watching these playoff games. Obviously, we're on the air pre and post. So I'm sitting watching these games with these iconic guys. And it's funny. They yell at the TV just like you and I do. They're screaming at the TV. Well, you got to get way. Yankees and Red Sox down in the postseason. So Poppy and A-Rod could basically arm wrestle all October. Sign me up for oh, that right oh, now, KB. God, it's a, well, man, it's just, we haven't had the White Sox in the postseason yet. Frank might lose his mind if we get to that point. But that's what, what's cool about those guys is that they let me bust their chops. They don't care. Like I could throw a zinger at them and like, they're not going to take it personally. Right. That to me is what makes the show. Like, you know, of course they're baseball acumen, they're smarts and stuff like that. But the fact that we could take shots at each other and me, who, who am I? If I could take a shot at a hall of famer and he laughs at it. Like, I think that makes the show. You spent time around the Tampa Bay Rays and it's funny, KB, everybody in New York basically assumed it was a foregone conclusion again the Yankees are going to win the division. And listen, the Yankees are the most talented team. They should win this division. But it amazes me how people continue to spit on and they continue to sleep on a team. I don't care if they lost Morton. I don't care if they lost Snell. That team is going to be a thorn in the Yankees' side, I think, all season long. You feel the same way? They have a million arms. A million. I mean, half their team is injured right now, pitching-wise, and they still have a million arms. It's unbelievable. You know, I, I'm with you. And I look, do I think they're as good as last year because of that? I don't. You can't, I don't think you can be when you lose Snell and when you lose Morton. But Glass now is an absolute monster. And they've got so many arms. Same thing. The one thing I'll, I'll say is, yeah, I, I did a season of filling in doing some raise games, which was a lot of fun for Dwayne Stats to so give him a little break on the road. And Yankees had owned Tampa Bay. And this was a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. But that game when Travis Darno had this epic at bat against the Roldis Chapman and then took him deep. Opposite. And he hit like three home runs in the game. I remember that. Exactly. All I said why Kevin was like, where has this been in a Met uniform for the last three years? But yeah, Correct. I do remember that one. So that changed the whole thing. Like the Rays are like, we can beat this team. We can beat this team. And I think the Yankees actually won the series. There was like, I, I want to say there was a doubleheader rain out and then a doubleheader two days later. But that 
changed their thinking about how they feel about beating the Yankees. And I just don't think they're afraid of them anymore. And Kevin, you've been around these postseasons now a while. Yankees got to get to a World Series here. I mean, sooner or later, you can't keep knocking on the door. And I know you experienced it with the Dodgers last year, where it felt like every year the Dodgers were right there, right there, right there. And then they finally break through. Betts kind of puts them over the top. I thought Cole would be that guy. And listen, he's a stud. Kevin, we watched him yesterday. He had C-plus stuff, and he's still retiring like 12 or 13 in a row. If there's one thing that's going to be the difference for the Yankees in the postseason this time around, what would it be in your opinion? I think they look, we all know it's the same questions with them, right? Not worried about Cole at all. He's a machine. Who who else after him? It has got to be about health and it's got to be about Judge and Stanton for me, right? I mean, here's the thing for the Yankees in in my eyes. They're great. They're going to be there barring a miracle. Can it? I'm with you. They have to win. Forget about getting it. They have to win a World Series. It's been an incredibly long stretch for them since 2009. Just getting to the playoffs is not who they are. But, you know, what they are to me is feast or famine. And until I see it in the playoffs where they can put together, but, you know, they just go cold for too long of stretches of time in these playoff games. And it hasn't worked for them. So is that go- how is that going to change, right? I mean, you saw it change. LeMayu has brought that to them, right, with some of the things that he does. Obviously, the series in Houston a couple years ago. But to me, it's who is after Cole and then Ken Stanton. You know, look, you're talking about A-Rod. 2009 was A-Rod's year, right? 2009 was the year he got to the playoffs and said, all right, this is my postseason now after all the other postseason times where he had some tough time. This is Stanton's time, in my eyes, to get to the postseason and hit 10 home runs and take that team to the World Series. Are you ready to put the Mets on the upper echelon within the National League? I mean, the Dodgers, listen, they have all the talent in the world. They had Bauer. Padres are really good. I think people continue to sleep on the Braves. I mean, you watch Acuna play. That lineup, I know they've been awful the first week. They're going to score runs. Where do you stand on the Mets? Are they elite National League? Are they a notch below? Are they kind of middle of the pack? Where are you looking at them for 2021? I think there's one team that's elite, and that's the Dodgers. And I don't think anyone is as good as them. Uh, I think the Padres are in their world. And I think the Braves are in their world, too. I, I don't understand the over. The Braves have won the division three years in a row, and they got better. I, I don't understand overlooking Atlanta at all. Um, I think the Mets certainly have the talent. And with DeGrom leading the way, maybe get Syndergaard back, and hopefully he can come back and do his thing. You know, love Lindor, love their lineup, really. You know, look, I just have, after being a Mets fan all my life and after seeing it firsthand, you're just unfortunately waiting for something Mets to happen, right? That's just the reality. That That's how we live as a Mets fan. Optimism, but you're just hoping something Metsian doesn't happen to kind of poo-poo the whole thing. But realistically, I think it's the Dodgers, Padres, Braves, close. And then there, there's a drop-off. I, I, you can make a case for a lot of the teams, the Mets, the Cardinals. You know, you could, you could make a lot of cases. I think the Mets certainly have a chance. I think in a playoff series, can they beat anyone, including in L.A.? Yeah, if they have their stuff together. But they're not on that level, at least not right now. Isn't it amazing, KB, how the Mets continue to screw Jacob DeGrom? I, I don't know if you read oh. that story. I saw it a couple of days ago saying that he's not a hard luck pitcher. I mean, I, that just goes to show you you can find a stat to back up any opinion because, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you lose a game. You strike out 14 guys, you give up one run, you pitch eight innings, and yet you've made two starts this year and you don't have a win. That's tough to take. 
you know, usually you see this with pitchers that happens like they have a year, right? Like there's, there's one year. It's just not his year. He's pitching great, but they're just not giving him run support. But for four years, <laughs> I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And it, it, it's the remarkable thing is he doesn't get bitter because he's such a great guy. The remarkable thing is he just keeps doing it. And he's like, okay, it'll change. But you know, Frank Thomas said this the other day on our post game show. And he's like, Hey, to me, you watch them. They cl- the offense clearly presses. He's like, they know it. They're pressing every at bat because they know this has been going on for years now with DeGrom. It's an issue. I mean, they're wasting him. You know, we talk about on the West Coast uh, about wasting Mike Trout, about getting the Angels to the playoffs and wasting Mike Trout. The Mets are wasting DeGrom. He's an elite all-time pitcher. They have to go and win a World Series with him. Final one, KB. NFL, I know you're following from afar as you're getting ready for September. It'll be here before you know it. Hopefully there's a Dolphin game or two on the schedule for you. I hope that the Fox schedule makers can work that out for me because I'm still waiting for that game in London that you called a couple of years ago. Great trip. I mean, three hours of my life, to be honest with you, I'd like to have back. I think Cutler (laughs) marched it down the field, first and goal like the four-yard line one of the worst fade routes I think I've ever seen in my life. And then the Dolphins just shut, got shut out for the rest of the game. But needless to say, if Accurate, there's one, by the way, yeah, Accurate. I know, listen, you had a, at least you had a fun trip in London, right? I mean, you, you had to call a miserable football game. You got to have a, uh, see a little big Ben, you know, uh, Abbey road, all that good stuff. KB, I know you're going back to London soon. The trip, right? trip was good. Uh, game was good for eight minutes. The trip was very good. <laughs> Sounds about right. But what storyline this off season have you enjoyed following the most? Is there one? Oh, um, well, listen, I think, um, I think, I think there's a, there's a couple of them. I, I mean, look, I'm going to go with my old friend, John Lynch in San Francisco and, you know, them making this big trade to go up and I guess select a, I haven't talked to John. Um, well, and on I, that note, sorry to cut you off there. Did you know with John Lynch that he had stud executive written all over him when you were doing games with him? He, um, he, he's a star in every way imaginable. So, you know, did I know, look, I, I knew that he was interested in this if the right opportunity presented itself, but he's just, JJ, he's one of those guys, if you've ever been around him, like it's impossible not to like him, not to kind of rally around him. He, he's just an unbelievable guy. So, you know, this kind of happened quick. You know, when he was going to go for the interview, he told me like this happened. And again, because it was something he wanted to do, he, I don't know that he really thought it was going to come together the way it did so quickly, but I kind of knew once he told me that he was meeting with them, I was like, oh, he's gone. There's no way they're going to get in a room with him and not hire him. That's just who he is. So I'm truthfully not surprised. And you like their element here at three, taking a quarterback. I think it's going to be Jones, by the way. I think that'll be the pick. You know, again, I haven't talked to him. Uh, So, uh, you know, I I don't have any intel on that. I... I have no idea what they're going to do. I, I, you know, I don't be, I think the big thing is, you know, I, Jimmy G has done great things. I think the big thing now is really health. You know, I mean, look, he makes one fourth quarter throw in the Super Bowl and hits Emmanuel Sanders. They win the Super Bowl. Right. So his health has kept him off the field. And you wonder if you're getting a little bit impatient, um, you know, and look, I think with Kyle Shanahan, if he sees something he likes, they got a young kid, they're going to go up and get it. So I have no idea. I'm intrigued. I'll say that because I, I don't know. I haven't talked to him and I'm, I'm intrigued. I really am for the first few picks uh, and, you know, see how if the Jets do take Zach Wilson, how he does. I haven't seen him play at all other than the highlights we've all watched. So 
I don't know. We'll see. So I'll go with that and I'll go with Aaron Rodgers as the host of Jeopardy. That's a pretty good one. Not too. bad, by the way. I mean, that's like a Kevin Burkhardt career arc, you know, from quarterback of the Green Bay Packers to hosting Jeopardy. It's like you, Ron, Keith, Gary. Uh, I love that I didn't say it in order, by the way. The Met fan is going to kill messed me it for up. that. You mixed it all up. Yeah, that's it. I'm dead. Listen, thanks for a couple of minutes. You are the best. And what are we shooting these days, California boy? What are you in the high 70s? <laughs> I think that so. is laughable. JJ, I'm a 15 brother. I'm all over the map. I, I mean, I'll give you on my good days. I'll, I'll, I'll give you maybe, you know, 87 on my bad days. Round. I'm giving, okay. On my bad days. I'm giving you a 98, my man. I mean, I'm all over the map. I am not good. You would fit in with the JJ golf crew. Listen, keep <laughs> up the good work, bro. We'll be watching on TV. We'll catch up soon. Okay. Good see you, brother. We got a lot more to do. Listen to voicemails coming up. We'll get you ready for a big week. New York, New York, right here. Ringer podcast network. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Dea, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Dea Oat Cream Blend. So before we get to voicemails, and the number, of course, is 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. I'm furious. I missed an opportunity to make a couple of bucks on Monday night because the Knicks being favored against the Los Angeles Lakers after the Lakers had won on Saturday night, they beat Durant and Kyrie Irving. They had a couple of extra days in New York. And that opening line came out with the Knickerbockers favored. I should have been all over that. And I even hinted at that uh, when we did the podcast on Sunday night. So shame on me for not actually following up on that. It happens. What are you going to do? But the Knicks are back over 500. And again, this team goes into ruts. But their toughness and the way they were coached and the way they go about their business speaks to what they have brought to the table this year. And our guy Kevin O'Connor wrote an unbelievable article. Check it out on The Ringer. Uh, talking about how the culture has changed for the better at Madison Square Garden. And that, to me, is the biggest takeaway that you're going to have from this season, no matter what happens the rest of the way and what happens in the postseason. It's the fact that the New York Knickerbockers are no longer this, like, vile, disgusting toxic place that nobody wants to be a part of. That is the Leon Rose, World Wide West, Tom Thibodeau factor. Knicks are fun. They're watchable. They're limited. But night in, night out, you know the team is going to give you an effort. The Nets decided to play Durant a lot more than I thought they were going to play Durant tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. I would assume you're barely going to see him tomorrow against Philly. And it just goes to show you, even though the Nets and the Sixers are like neck and neck for that number one seed, 
It's not that big of a priority for Brooklyn. And you know what? No, should it be? Because if you like your team enough, you're going to feel confident that you could go into a, you know, 50% capacity arena and win a game seven if need be. I don't think seeding for the Nets in the Eastern Conference, the Lakers in the Western Conference, is going to be like a be-all end-all. It's about how your team is looking and how your team is performing going into the most important games of the year. So, you know, that's a game, Nets Sixers, you'd look on paper and you'd be like, oh, holy moly, that's going to be a hell of a matchup. Don't expect a whole lot of sizzle. If anything, it's kind of the feel of like an October or a November basketball game. Knowing that the postseason is now, you know, about a month away. Listen to voicemail time. Let's get it. What do we got? Hey, uh, Jastrzemski, uh, you might want to wake up and smell the roses. This is your buddy old pal in Hicksville. Uh, John, apparently the Knicks are presumably making a playoffs. Why? What's the point? What, to lose in a playing game series? John, I don't want anything to do with this team because this is not championship material, my friend. I don't want Kate Cunningham, John. I want Ian Mobley from USC, John. What are we doing? I want Kate Cunningham, John. That's it. All right? What's the point of the season? To bow out in the first round. And one other thing, Jastrzemski, you should be ashamed of yourself. To say that Carl Anthony Towns' career has been underwhelming? Have you seen his numbers? Sean, what, what, what did you expect? What, Will Chamberlain like numbers for Cat? Come on, John. Cat has had a good career so far. He's been great as well. You're being a little too harsh on a man. All right? So saddle up, Mr. Acentura. That's my main man. The legend, Jamal in Hicksville, one of my longtime callers for a great amount of years on JJ After Dark. And this is why Jamal, once again, is totally off-based when it comes to the New York Knickerbockers. The Knicks have lost enough over the last two decades. They've had plenty of high draft picks. Have they had some bad draft lottery luck along the way? One pick away from Steph Curry, a couple of picks away from Zion Williamson. Yeah, they've had some bad lottery luck over the years. They also ended up with Porzingis over D'Angelo Russell and Jaleel Okafor. So it's about culture. They've had an embarrassing culture for 20 years. You got to start winning some games. This tanking nonsense thinking you're going to just lose and guarantee a number one pick and guarantee it's going to work doesn't work that way in the NBA. And I know Towns is putting up a ton of numbers on a terrible team. I thought Towns would be better in the NBA. That might be unfair. I thought he would be a better player. Maybe it's because of the fact that his teams have been terrible. And maybe you will see a little bit of the Anthony Davis effect where he leaves, goes somewhere else, and has more success. He's not as good as Anthony Davis. It's obvious. He's not as good. Davis is a much better player. He's a much all-around, you know, more dynamic type of player. Sounds good. He's not great. What's next? JJ, what up, man? It's Brian from Jersey. I'm not here to talk about Brooklyn today. All right, that's most of my phone calls will be about them, but let's talk about the Giants real quick. I want to throw something at you here, all right? Let's say that the four skill position guys are gone at 11, right? Kyle Pitts, that's a dream, and I've already, you know, thrown that dream in the toilet. I get that logic. Now, Jalen Waddle's gone, Devontae Smith is gone, and Jamar Chase is obviously gone. So now at 11, let's say the Giants have a choice of either Justin Fields or Micah Parsons. What's the move? Do you think that... They should take fields. I mean, I see it like 
a lot of Deshaun Watson and Justin Fields. He's somebody that played good against some pretty solid defenses, and he's not getting the respect he deserves, and he's dropping farther than where he's supposed to. Yeah, he might go top four, sure. But my point is, is if they have a choice of one of those guys, and let's say the four skill positions are gone, what do you think the Giants do with 11? Or if there are any other choices? Thanks, JJ. Have a good one, man. Brian, I don't see the Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson comparison at all. At all. Deshaun Watson had it every which way. He was special. You knew he was special when he went up against Alabama's defense, not once, but twice. An Alabama defense that is full of pros and lit him up in two national championship games. How did Justin Fields perform against the Alabama defense last year? How did Justin Fields perform against Northwestern? How did Justin Fields perform against Indiana? The better defenses that he played. They're not comparable as prospects. And that's not to say that Justin Fields can't have a good NFL career. He could have a solid NFL career. He could be better than I thought. I was gushing over Deshaun Watson. And from a Giants standpoint, listen, I am not exactly the leader of the Daniel Jones fan club. I think Daniel Jones has a lot to prove. I'm skeptical on what kind of quarterback he's going to be down the road. They just went and signed Kenny Galladay. They went out and brought in Kyle Rudolph. They're going to have Saquon Barkley back. This is a make or break year for Daniel Jones. I'm not drafting a quarterback. Next year, if I get mediocre results from Jones, all bets are off. But I want to give Jones every last opportunity to succeed. That scenario you presented, which, by the way, won't happen. One of the playmakers, in my opinion, will be on the board for the Giants. And the way I see it, they should go and take him. If, for some reason, they are not, and it's Fields or Parsons, Parsons is the pick. What's next? Hey, JJ. I'm Robert. I'm a listener from California. I have been for, I mean, since you basically the last five or six years, but I love you. I love your show. You're just, you're, you're an awesome guy. But man, fuck, we've got to talk about Stan. I mean, bro, I'm, I literally have to like call you right now. I'm in the middle of watching the game against the Blue Jays. I mean, Stan, his swings are fucking awful. I mean, that's all this guy does is either hit a home run or strike out. And it's just, it's fucking, it's tough to watch, man. I'm just, I'm tired of this shit. I, I bench him. I mean, he's, He's, he's just awful, man. What would you do with him? I, I just I can't watch this anymore. It's garbage. But take care, man. Later. Well, you're not benching John Carlos Stanton. You're paying him a boatload of money for the next seven or eight years. He's going to be here. Now, listen, he's gotten off to a really bad start this year. He's had terrible at-bats. He did have a two-run single, by the way, in the top half of the eighth inning. In general, have his at-bats? Have the Yankee at-bats, for that matter, been any good? No! Frazier's at-bats have stunk. Glaber's at-bats haven't been good. Hicks before tonight has done absolutely nothing. Gary Sanchez and Jerry Rochella, to me, the only guys swinging about halfway decently in the lineup. The bigger issue to me is not Stanton whether or not he's going to play. Of course he's going to play if he's right and if he's healthy. The issue I have is bringing him in in the first place. And... If the Yankees could do it again. See, Brian Cashman won't admit this. The Yankees won't admit this. Because they're going to say Stanton's a good dude. He fits in with the clubhouse. He loves being a Yankee. Star power, blah, blah, blah. He's exactly the same player. And to me, more flawed than Aaron Judge. The Yankees did not need Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup. 
Would the Yankees be better suited right now with Michael Brantley over John Carlos Stanton? The answer to that question is yes. And don't give me the, oh, well, who's the better player? No. Who would fit the Yankee lineup better? If I were to put a poll up right now, 80% of Yankee fans would agree with me. It's Michael Brantley. Because he's lefty, he puts the bat on the ball, he's a professional hitter. And he would give you a different look and a different feel up and down the lineup. Stan's going to be here, though. Whether you like him or not, he's not going anywhere. Who's next? JJ, what's up? It's Andrew from East Meadow. Um, Listen, man, watch the Mets. Great two wins today. Marcus Stroman really looks like he's out there uh, pitching for a long-term contract with the Mets. Love it. A um, couple things, though. I mean, Michael Conforto, Francisco Lindor, James McCann, uh, I, I don't think they know the season started yet. Um, I, I was, I'm, I'm fairly confident in Lindor figuring it out. But Michael Conforto, I mean, come on, guy. Like, he, he wants $200 million and he's performing like this. I don't know, JJ. Well, I want to know what you think. All right. Great show as always. Appreciate you. Listen, the bullseye is going to be on Michael Conforto. And when Scott Boris is your agent and you're in a walk here and you're hearing the sort of contractual demands that Michael Conforto has put out there, pressure's on. You got to perform. Conforto has been one of the most streaky Mets we've seen over the last five or six years. When he's going, he's cooking. He's more caliente. When he's cold, though, he's as cold as ice. And right now, you're in one of those stretches where Michael Conforto is as cold as ice. He's going to hit at some point. Is he going to hit to the point of getting a $200 million contract? That remains to be seen. And, hey, Stroman talks a big game. You want that big money deal, whether it's from the Mets or somebody else, go out and pitch. And so far, so good. Who's next? Hey, JJ. It's uh, Jared from Long Island. First time, long time. Uh, which of my clown show teams and organizations will win a championship first? The Jets, the Mets, the Knicks, or the Islanders? Thank you for the, your time and the podcast. And also, why are you a Dolphins fan? Have we heard that story on the pod yet? Don't worry about it. Thank you. Adios. Well, we're going to worry about it. I'll tell you why I'm a Dolphin fan. And I've addressed this a lot on my radio show for years. But now that we have made the transition into the podcast world and For somebody who didn't listen to me over at my old gig, I grew up mid-1990s, where I really came of age as a sports fan. 94, 95 is when I really started getting into it. The Jets and the Giants were terrible. The Giants had the most boring offense on the planet with Dave Brown at quarterback. The Jets, those were the coat-tight years. We're talking Boomer. We're talking Bubby Brister. Those teams sucked. I went to a Jet Patriot game with my dad, and I was like, this ain't for me. Dolphins had cool uniforms, Ace Ventura, Dan Marino. The rest, as they say in the business, my friends, is history. And it hasn't exactly been the best life choice for me. Let's be honest. Because if the Dolphins were the Giants, I'd be giddy. I'd have a couple of Super Bowls. I'd maybe have some Giants paraphernalia behind me. I don't have that. I haven't seen my team play in an AFC title game in my years as a fan. Let that sink in for a minute. Builds character, though. Rooting for the Dolphins builds character. And as far as your question, closest to a championship, it's got to be the Mets or the Islanders. Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and the Mets now with an owner who's looking to spend. 
crazy amounts of money. It's probably one of those two. Who's next? Hey, I'm uh, Jerry Thomas. I'm from Nourishell, New York. And my question is about the Knicks. Um, so currently the Knicks are around the eight seed, um, just off a win against the shorthanded Lakers. But who would you want the Knicks to play in the first round? Um, because currently the, the, the first seed is the cheating between the Nets, Sixers, uh, maybe the Bucks could get in there. But who do you think the Knicks have the best chance of beating out of those three teams? Obviously, we all want to see the Nets versus the Knicks, but I'm not sure if that's the best matchup for the Knicks. So out of those three teams, the Nets, Sixers, and the Bucks, who do you think would be the best matchup for the Knicks to possibly win the series? All right, loving the show. I saw you on uh, uh, Simmons' pod, and then I've uh, been listening. And uh, so far, it's been pretty awesome. We have really amazing New York energy, and I love it. Uh, have a good day. I appreciate that. Listen, the energy, it's not contrived, folks. I'm crazy. That's just what it boils down to. What you hear, what you see is what you get. And if you think it's fake, you're a fool. Hang out with me for five minutes and you'll understand real quick. I'm all out there. It's okay. Now, to answer your question, none of the above. This is just real talk. None of the above. The Knicks don't have a prayer against Philly, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we can save this tape and mock me in a month and a half, especially if the Knicks found a way somehow, some way to beat Brooklyn. They're not beating any of those three teams. I would say probably Milwaukee because the playoff bad juju might work against them. That would probably be my answer. But I don't think they're beating any of those three teams. Um, And it is not a given, by the way, that they win the playing game. Who would I want to play in the playing? I don't know. That's a good question. I wouldn't want to play Boston. I hope Boston and Miami find their way in. Miami, forget it. Miami would smoke the Knicks. I wouldn't like the Knicks' chances against Boston. I wouldn't mind playing Charlotte. You know, I thought Chicago would play better after the trade. Hasn't happened. They're 22 and 31. I think the Knicks would probably be favored in... Two-thirds of those playoff series. They'd be close, though. I mean, I'm talking 120, 100, 130, 110, right around there. Not a given they win that playing series. But I think they would be able to squeeze a smidge more out of this team just to get them to that first round where it would crash and burn real quick. What's next? JJ, it's Anthony in Tyoster. Listen, I'm curious your take here. Why is the subject of a personal catcher for Garrett Cole even a fucking discussion? Who is Gary Sanchez to command any type of respect versus Garrett Cole in terms of catching him? If Higashioka, as a catcher, gives Cole the best opportunity to perform, I got news for you. I don't give a shit what it means to Gary Sanchez's feelings. Cole's going to have a personal catcher. I don't care what Boone thinks. I don't care what the fans think. And I got news for you. The last person that I care about in terms of how they feel about this, is Gary Sanchez. Who is Gary Sanchez behind the plate all of a sudden? Is he Johnny Bench? And who is he at the plate? Is he 2019 DJ LeMayhew? I mean, what difference does it make at this point whether Sanchez is in the lineup or not when Cole is pitching? Give Cole the best opportunity to go out there and give the team the best performance he can. And if it's Higashioka, then let Higashioka catch 
every fucking cold start, whether it's April, May, June, July, August, September, and you can bet your fucking ass in October. Hey, fired up Anthony and Syosset. I'm not concerned about Gary Sanchez's feelings, but we're going to agree on this, Anthony. I want Garrett Cole to be at his very best. And I've come full circle on personal catchers. It used to bother me. It used to get under my skin. And then you realize it's three or four at-bats. And if you want that pitcher to be at his very best, let him have the catcher he likes working with. He and Higgy go way back to the high school days. Cole has thrown unbelievably well to Higgy. Going back to the second half of last year and now the first two starts this year. Chef, I'm Aaron Boone. Ain't broke, don't fix it. And there are examples of the Yankees using personal catchers. And it's worked out. I'll give you two. 2005, Randy Johnson came to the Yankees. And Randy Johnson didn't get off to a great start. Remember, he shoved the reporter down. He's a little ornery. He wasn't working great with Jorge Posada who was a great all-time Yankee. Joe Torre started putting our buddy John Flaherty behind the plate. Every fifth day, John Flaherty was catching Randy Johnson. Randy threw better to Flaherty and was money for the Yankees down the stretch. I think he went 5-0 and against the Red Sox, and they won the division. I'll give you another example. When the Yankees won their last World Series in 2009, A.J. Burnett, and Jorge Posada just couldn't get on the same page. I remember there was a game at Fenway Park, a Saturday game, and Burnett was basically gesturing. The cameras got him saying, why, 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 as far as pitch selection and what Posada was putting down. They put Jose Molina behind the dish, and Burnett threw great to Jose Molina in the Division Series, in the Championship Series, and in the World Series. What am I getting at here? I got no problem with a personal catcher. Forget about Sanchez's feelings. Forget about what he is as a player. And by the way, his bats have been good. So I'm not trying to rag on Gary. This is about the pitcher-catcher relationship being a thing of beauty right now. Higgy and Cole are humming. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Two to go. What do we got? Hey, JJ. This is Dan from Connecticut. So the other show, you said that Brian Cashman is a great general manager. And listen. The guy's done some good things, but I'm going to have to completely disagree with you on that one. In the last 20 years, Brian Cashman has spent billions, literally billions of dollars. They've appeared in one World Series. He has every possible resource at his disposal. He plays in the biggest, or is the general manager of the biggest market team in sports in this country. Easy to attract free agents, easy to sign anybody, every resource possible at his disposal. I just don't get it, JJ. What how what makes this guy a great GM? He's got one World Series appearance. And worst of all, he took on Stan's contract. That is one of the worst contracts in baseball history as far as I'm concerned. He doesn't play the field and he doesn't hit. So what are we paying this guy for? He's making all this money to do nothing. All right, JJ. Love the show. Appreciate it. All right, there's a lot to get to there. You're on to something with Stan. I think it will go down as one of the greatest regrets that the Yankees have made over the last five years because of everything you just said. Forget about what he is as a hitter. He is basically a full-time DH that you're paying $30 million a year to, 
that you're locked in with for the next six, seven, eight years, whatever it is. And he's exactly the sort of hitter that, in my eyes, the Yankees have to get away from. These all-or-nothing type dudes. Now, Cashman's been the GM since 1998. Some of you don't want to give him credit for the later 90s Yankee championships. And I understand G. Michael built that team. Bob Watson made some good moves. Cashman brought in Chuck Knobloch, was terrific. Cashman brought in Roger Clemens and orchestrated that trade. Cashman made a brilliant move in 2000. Yankees do not win the 2000 World Series without David Justice. He goes and gets David Justice when the boss wanted Sammy Sosa, Juan Gonzalez. So you have to give Cashman credit for that. Now, over the last 20 years, everything you said is fair. The Yankees have won one championship. They've only been in the World Series once since 2004. Because they were there in 2003. They won it in 2009. They haven't been back since. Do I have an issue with the way the roster and the team has been constructed? Yes. I think they're way too right-handed. I think the lineup is too all or nothing. I think they have been stubborn in the way they've tried to tweak this team over the last couple of years. And they haven't owned up to the fact that they need more balance and that they need more contact hitters. I think they've missed the boat on that. Cashman has whiffed on some starting pitchers. He also signed CC Sabathia. He also signed Masahiro Tanaka. He also signed Garrett Cole. So he's been a guy that's gotten the big pitcher. He hasn't hit on that mid-tier guy, whether it's Vasquez, who's been a stiff. Uh, Avaldi, who had had great success with the Red Sox, and that made me sick. Paxton didn't work out. You hope you're not putting Kluber and Tyon in that conversation, but they have not hit on the mid-tier starting pitcher. Sonny Gray, how can you forget about him? Remember, though, with the Yankees, they had a group that was old, decrepit, and you kind of had to walk on eggshells because it was Jeter and because it was Posada and because it was Bernie Williams and A-Rod and Mariano I don't want to put there because he basically aged as seamlessly as fine wine. I mean, Mariano could probably go now and pitch to a 2 ERA because he's still in great shape. But dealing with those guys on the way out is not easy. It's not like you're dealing with guys. We could just eh, throw them aside. And they tried to play hardball with Derek Jeter. They played hardball with Jorge Posada. But the fact that the Yankees never bottomed out and never had a losing record, I give them a lot of respect for that. And that they basically went from rebuilding to two years later playing in the ALCS, that's not just being about the Yankees. That's hitting on Judge. That's hitting on uh, Sanchez at a time. Severino at a time. But it's put up a shut up for this team. Like I said, get to the World Series this year or I'm looking at serious changes in the offseason. Last but not least, take it away. JJ, what's up, bro? It's JK out in Dayville again. Fresh off a great Masters weekend. Wanted to ask you, knowing that you like to get out there and hack it around a little bit, what are some of your favorite golf courses here in the tri-state area? Love what you're doing, bud. Take it easy. Whoa, that is a loaded one right there. One of my favorite golf courses within the tri-state area. Now, remember, I am a city golfer. So convenience matters to me. I mean, I get an opportunity to go and play at a bougie country club. 
I'm going to go. I'm planning an outing next month at the Great Richmond County. Unbelievable course. Liberty National. Listen, I play, I want to get out there and play it. I'm probably going to shoot 140. But yes, I want to go out and play it because it's a breathtaking course. I've never played Beth Page. I've yet to play it. The walking, first of all, I'm not playing the black. Uh, I'm not good enough to play the black. Nor am I waiting 10 hours to get a tee time. N- no interest in that. But my favorite golf courses, my Staten Island golf courses, I'm oil. Silver Lake, I'm there all the time. South Shore, I'm there all the time. One out Long Island, I love though. Indian Island, way out east. Way out east. Terrific, terrific track. So I got a bunch. But I will be exploring as the spring and the summer roll along. I'm always looking to get out. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm going for my first lesson tomorrow. That's going to be a disaster. A disaster in more ways than one. We'll come back. I'll tell you my big takeaway from the weekend. It's strange. It's bizarre. But it's all right. It happens. That's what happens when you're alone for the weekend. And I'm going to give you a couple of games to play. Wednesday, baseball. Odds are out. Hopefully, I don't make a fool of myself. All that more. It's New York, New York. Presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. We'll come right back. So, this weekend, folks, Kate was out of town. And, you know, you watch the sports throughout the day. We're not at a point where we have, like, the late night NBA and the NHL playoff games cooking. So, it's been a whole lot of wearing out the remote, watching a whole lot of old movies. Because I can't even catch up on shows that we're into. Like, we're re-watching. She's watching. I'm re-watching The Wire. Don't remember it that well. I can't recite it the way I recite Sopranos. So I'm into it. Can't cheat. Can't watch the episodes. Falcon Winter Soldier. I'm a big Marvel guy now. Thanks to the great Mike Flugelman, one of my good buddies, good pals, and Eric and Ron Konkama, one of my longtime callers. My great producer, my great caller, they got me into Marvel, and now I'm a Marvel lunatic. WandaVision couldn't get enough. It's amazing. Elizabeth Olsen now is more famous than Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Let that sink in for a minute. That's pretty crazy to think about. It's pretty crazy to think about. But why do I bring all of this up? I stumbled upon a bunch of sequels. Yeah, sequels. I Don't ask. It was the theme of the weekend. They were on TV, scrolling around. Who the hell knows? Godfather 2. And I don't think this is a hot take at all based upon what I saw on my Twitter page. I enjoy it more than Godfather 1. Now, I know in Godfather 1, you got Comenza and Tessio and James Caan and Marlon Brando. Like, I I, I get all that. The storyline in 2 for me, though, it just hits home. Cuba, Vegas, the kiss of death to Fredo. Hyman Roth, this is the business we have chosen. I hope I got the line right. They're both great. And listen, they filmed a ton of Godfather 1, my hometown, Staten Island, New York. Beautiful house, somewhere up on Toad Hill, for those of you who know the area. Godfather 2, pro sequel. I'll give you another pro sequel that I stumbled upon this weekend. I don't even think it's close, actually. Back to the Future 2 is better than Back to the Future 1. It's a better movie. And you know what makes it a better movie? A couple of simple words, my friends. Grays, sports, almanac. That's right. Grays, sports, almanac. And then the scene in Casino with Biff and, oh, I could go on and on. Now, I got to be fair to an original. 
This is the third movie that I stumbled upon this weekend where this random thought came to my mind. American Pie. Two great movies. And let me make this clear. Godfather 1, Godfather 2 are great. Back to the Future 1, Back to the Future 2, great. The third one, eh, not so much. Wild West, not for me. Buford Town, not for me. Same with the American Pies. When they they go to 3, the wedding, the reunion, I don't even remember. They're not on par. The first one is better than the second one. Second one is good. First one's a smidge better. Smidge better. Sequels. I'll be thinking about that now for like the next two or three weeks. What sequels and originals are on par, better, worse, whatever. So that was my random thought of the week. Now, we don't have anybody coming on today to help us out with a little gambling. So here's what we're going to do. We got a full slate of baseball on Wednesday. Am I going to pick every game? Absolutely not. Betting baseball is an absolute pain in the ass. But it's fun to dabble. And it's fun to find value when you can. And I have a rule. When a line gets beyond 140 in a regular season game, I refuse to play it. I refuse to play it. But we have a line and I'm going to be all over. And I'm going to be cursing this game all afternoon. And you guys can have some fun with me. I am taking the Yankees laying 133 against Toronto. Line went from 115 to 133. It got absolutely pounded. The total in this game is at 10 and a half. So basically, Vegas is telling you they expect the Yankee recovery. They also expect the Yankees to score a boatload of runs. Kluber and Stripling, I don't bet totals ever. That total is super, super high for a lineup that has not been scoring. So it kind of tells me that Vegas is banking on the fact that there are going to be runs in that particular game. But I won't do that. I'll take the Yankees laying 133. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I'm going to take a game tomorrow and go up against a team that's as hot as anybody. But Boston and Minnesota. The Twins are minus 151, and the Red Sox have won six straight. Something's got to give. Twins all over it tomorrow. And I'm breaking one of my rules. I'm laying the 150. But if you really want to get around that, what you can do is go lay one and a half with Minnesota and probably get it at plus money in the process. Now, if you're wondering about the Mick game tomorrow, Zach Wheeler going up against his old team, it is way too small a line for my liking. Philadelphia opening up minus 120 against the New York Mets. That is that is for me to stay away. Now, you got to be careful with some of these lines. I could see that line at 135 tomorrow and like Philadelphia a heck of a lot more. But the initial look is stay away. Stay away, stay away, stay away. Now, in the NBA tomorrow, can't even go near Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I'd love to be able to give you a play on that game. I have no idea who's playing. My guess is Duran is not. So I guess if you're thinking Durant is not going to play, maybe hop on Philly now before that line gets to six and a half or seven. And I'm seeing the Knicks right now is a three-point dog against New Orleans. I do not like the Knicks tomorrow. I don't. And I know they've been good against losing teams. New Orleans, though, is trying to fight to get into that playoff positioning. Zion is playing completely out of his mind. So I'm not going to go near a New Orleans play because you know I'm rooting for the Knicks. My lean on that game, though, I would lay the three with New Orleans. If you're looking to make money, I think New Orleans laying three is the play. But a couple of baseball bets tomorrow, and I can guarantee I will be cursing the Yankees when they leave about 15 runners on base, and it ruins a beautiful, glorious Wednesday afternoon in the big city. We have a jam-packed show coming on Thursday night. We'll have the great Charles Davis from CBS Sports. We'll start to get you ready for the draft. Believe it or not, the draft is just, what, two weeks away. 
Come Thursday, hard to believe. We'll have you covered with all the baseball, all the hoops. Until then, it's JJ signing off. Be good, everybody. I hope you enjoyed New York, New York. Of course, presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. <laughs>